Well, good morning, church. So good to be among the saints this morning. Uh, and if you're watching online, we're glad that you're here. If this is your first time, we're really glad you're here too. We hope you get a feel for kind of our heart here at Rock Creek. And so I'm going to ask all of you, if you wouldn't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Our text this morning comes from one of the parables of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a person took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. You may be seated. So, Whenever you get ready to prepare a sermon, one of the things that you need to be able to do is kind of like flush everything that you think you know about a particular topic, and then you begin to do some research. So there's, this is a pretty simple parable. There's really a couple elements to this. The first one is a mustard seed. So you go in and like you Google and you find out everything that you can about mustard seeds. And it's probably more than you ever want to know. And then you look at it and you say, well, there's the kingdom so then what you probably do is like you'll go to your Bible app and you'll type in the word kingdom and you'll hit search and then you'll just review the verses to make sure, you know, that you've encompassed everything that's being discussed in the scriptures. Well, one of the things that I did when I was preparing for this, I was kind of surprised. Although I'm familiar with the kingdom of God, at least I think that I am, right? Well, as soon as I did this, all of a sudden I was flabbergasted at the number of verses that suddenly appeared. And so this week, I'm going to encourage all of you, and if you're in your life group, when you're together, do this. Grab a Bible app, type, go to the book of Matthew, for example, and just do a search for the kingdom. All of a sudden, you're going to discover that Jesus spoke about the kingdom over 50 times in that one gospel. When you look at the whole Bible, all of a sudden, it comes out at like 150 times. It's like, well, I think I understand the kingdom, but it's a lot more pervasive in the Bible, I think, probably than I give it credit for. And so I start looking at these verses, and you see Jesus Christ, kingdom this, kingdom this, kingdom this. Every time he's talking, he's talking about the kingdom. And so I have to consider myself, it's like when I'm talking about church, what am I talking about? Well, I might talk about prayer, or I might talk about fellowship, or ministry, or all these things. I'm going, how many times does the actual word kingdom come out of my mouth? Turns out not very often. So I keep looking more and more. And one of the scriptures that really kind of uh, astounded me came from Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. And basically, it's saying that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, right? We can look at that one real quick. Oh, we don't have to. I'm sorry. It says, to these he also presented himself alive after suffering by convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to them things regarding the kingdom of God. So I thought, now that's very interesting, isn't it? You would think Jesus has gone through his whole ministry, he's talked about the kingdom, he's been crucified, he rises from the dead, and he's got 40 days with his apostles. What do you think he'd be talking about? Well, we would assume he'd be talking about ministry and how you set up church programs and kids programs and all this, but Jesus doesn't do that. He continues to talk about the kingdom of God. It's like, you got my interest. And so I'm going to look at this even more deeply. And then you see in the book of Acts... The apostles are going out everywhere, and they're preaching the kingdom. When I go out and talk to people, do I just talk to them about the kingdom of God? Not usually. So I have to say, Dan, why aren't you doing that? So I look again more closely, and if you look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, it 
says Paul goes into the synagogues, basically, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, discussing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. I have never had a three-month discussion with anybody about the kingdom of God in order to help them understand and come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, what is it that I'm not getting? So I have to go back and figure out there's something about perhaps my understanding of the kingdom that's not complete. So we, we understand that in this uh, uh, ministry series, right, this preaching series, we're talking about the kingdom of God. So I want you to kind of look as you, as you review those. This starts to become a pattern of what he's doing. He says in the first parable, the sower goes out to seed. He's sitting there casting it out saying, I'm going to tell you about a kingdom. And then last week, Brian brings it even more into focus and says, look, there's only two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. It's like, okay, I get that. I understand God and, and Satan, heaven and hell. I get it. It's like, no, I'm not sure you get it. It's like, really? How is it that I, I'm not getting it? So the first thing you have to understand when we talk about how, did, or how are there two kingdoms, well, we know if you go to Genesis chapter 3 and we read about the fall of man, what do we understand there? Well, we, we were tempted, we wanted to be like God, and so basically we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Well, really what that is, that's the origin story of the kingdom of this world. And if there's an origin story about the kingdom of this world, is there an origin story about the kingdom of God? It turns out that there really is. You go to Genesis chapter 1, and it basically discusses the fact in, in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. If you look closely at that, your entire purpose for why God created you was to rule and to reign. Now, why would God want you to rule and to reign? Because if you understand the scriptures correctly, what God is ultimately trying to do is bring everything under his authority and lordship. And so what he's trying to do is create a series of followers who basically will act in that way, ruling and reigning, in your families, in your marriages, with your children, at your work, in every single instance, he created this earth for us to rule and to reign over. But now something happened, and that becomes the origin story of the kingdom of this world. So there really are these two kingdoms. And if you suddenly start looking at everything in terms of these two kingdoms, some very interesting things begin to appear. Now, you have to remember, well, for example, like I was in philosophy class, and one of the very first things that they'll teach you is this thing called the, the question of evil. It's like, how can a good God allow evil to, to happen? And you'll get all these theologians, and they're going to say, well, it's this. You see, a loving God is just, and explaining it all. It's like, no, let's go back and let's just make it two kingdoms. The real question is why does, not why does God allow evil. The real question is why are there two kingdoms? God's intent was first to, to create his kingdom, and then we didn't like the idea, so we wanted to create another one. The real question is why did we choose a different kingdom? And all of this suddenly starts to fall into place, and you get an understanding of this because God never intended, or I'm should, I should say, the kingdom of God is not plan B for a fallen humanity. You have to understand that. He didn't say, oh, no, all of a sudden you became tempted and you, fell, you, know, you, you turned away from me, and so I need to, to put in a, a new plan. 
I need to reset everything. It's like, nope, that was never his plan at all. And if you look in Matthew chapter 25, uh, excuse me, let me get my verse white. Oh, yeah, Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to them on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, get this, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God's plan since the beginning of time, even before time began, was always his kingdom. So what I want you to understand is like, how do I get into this kingdom? Because I understand I used to belong to one kingdom, and now there's really a different kingdom that I want to be part of. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus gives us a great insight. And he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. What is Jesus saying? He says the most important things that any of us can fo focus on is his kingdom. Now, sometimes we get distracted, and we're going to focus on prayer, or we're going to get focused on all these different things that we get used to in church life. He says, focus first on the kingdom. And it's important that we really get this correct understanding of what the kingdom is. <clears throat> sometimes even we'll get our feet in both kingdoms, right? You'll sit back and you'll go, I want to be in this one because I like to live in the world and I need to get a good job and I need to prosper and I need to do all of that. Jesus is saying, no, no, seek just my kingdom. And so we try to straddle this and it's like, I want to be part in this kingdom. I want to do enough stuff over here so I'm, I feel like I'm doing good. Nobody at church is asking me questions and I don't want to shake the world so much that the world gets mad at me. Is that a proper way to live in this world? Can you live in both kingdoms? Because a lot of times all of us do. Right, if we're really honest with ourselves. What does Jesus say in Revelation? He says, I would that you were not hot nor cold, right? But as it is, you are lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. When you get this kingdom perspective, there's going to be a whole lot of verses that suddenly start lighting up in your head. It started to do that for me. <clears throat> the other thing that you have to understand, there's a big difference between these two kingdoms. The kingdom of God is never by force or coercion. You have to understand this. The kingdom of the world is by force. And nothing probably so well uh, describes that as the situation during the crucifixion of Jesus. He's been beaten up. He's been tortured. He's been flogged. He's bloody. And he goes before Pilate. And what does Pilate say? He looks at him and he says, don't you know that I have authority over you? I can basically release you or have you crucified? Jesus looks up because he understands the kingdoms, and he says, you have no power over me, right, unless my Father in heaven had given it to you. Like I said, all these verses will suddenly start making sense to you. <clears throat> we like to think that we're in control. There's one interesting thing about life. As soon as you think you're in control, life will smack you right upside the head. There's only one kingdom, there's only one authority, and if any of us think it's us, you're going to be sadly mistaken because life will happen and you're going to be uh, rudely awakened to the fact that you are not in control. It's also interesting as you begin to look in Matthew, as soon as Jesus is baptized, he goes out into the wilderness and he's confronted with what? Two kingdoms. So Satan comes up to him and says, hey, let me show you my kingdom. This is a nice place. We have football stadiums, right? We have uh, all of these trappings. We have fast cars. We have beautiful women. We have yachts. We have all the temptations. And Jesus basically says, Satan, away from me. 
right? It's kind of interesting. It would have been great if somebody could have gone up to Jesus and say, Jesus, what did you think of all that? I think he would have said, you got to be kidding me. Why would I want that kingdom? I have seen a kingdom that is so much greater that lies in the hearts of every man and woman that you're never going to want this kingdom once you understand my kingdom. So I always look, and then what you see, it's interesting. As soon as he gets out of that temptation, what's the first thing we hear coming out of his mouth? He goes out and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I had to suddenly start laughing because when you get the kingdom perspective on this, it's like Jesus is saying, run, right? Don't walk. Get out of that one. Get out of that kingdom as fast as you can. Run away, right? Repent. And you understand another thing. It says God and, and the whole process that Jesus is trying to do. Again, this whole kingdom orientation. In Colossians 1.13, it says, For he rescued us from what? The domain of darkness. He rescued us from this kingdom that I thought was so great and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is sitting there basically telling us, look, there's a different orientation I want you to have in every single thing that you do. Don't get your perspective. Don't understand your Christianity as I'm a sinner and I I need saving. That's all true. Don't misunderstand me. What he's saying, that is not who you are. Who you are is you were created to rule and to reign in my kingdom with me forever. And you're going, I'm suddenly starting to see this difference. So as I began to look at this, it's like, well, really, what is the kingdom then? The kingdom of God is basically the domain in which all rule and authority is subject to God's will. You all know this, right? Anybody ever say the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And then what? Thy will be done. Right? It's like, I want to learn to pray. Well, if you want to pray, you've got to understand the kingdom. Really? That isn't how I understand it. I always thought I had to pray for it. That's all good and fine, and he goes on to explain that. You should do that. Pray for one another. Pray for the things you need. But the first thing you need to look at is his kingdom. And what is his kingdom? His will be done. And if everything, if you can take every thought, every imagination captive, as Paul says, right, for the sake of the kingdom. So now the next question becomes, how does God do this? How does God suddenly bring every single thing in all of creation under his rule and authority? I was talking with my wife. She said, why why did God even allow that to happen? Why would he allow Adam and Eve to sin? Matter of fact, why even allow Satan into the garden? Why not just prevent him? Could God have done that? Absolutely. But I started thinking about this. And let me give you a little example. In, I think, what is it, in like a week, we're going to have the, uh, the Winter Olympics begin. And if you want to be the absolute best at any given sport, you have to be able to compete against everybody, right? So God says, my kingdom is greater than any kingdom, and I can exercise my will and authority without any coercion. Everyone will basically come to the understanding that God's will is true, right, and best for me. So another kingdom pops up, and he goes, doesn't bother me in the least. I have the authority by my kingdom. It is so powerful, and it is so all-encompassing. It will overcome any resistance. Now, if there wasn't this other kingdom, and that's why I'm beginning to speculate, why did God allow it? It's just to demonstrate to all of us, right? My kingdom can overcome everything. And that's what really God is after. 
<clears throat> God will ultimately subject everything to his authority. Now, you have to kind of think about this, and it changed my perspective. It was real interesting this week. We're working on the, uh, the Marshall Fire Fund. And so Alex calls me, and he says, hey, Dan, we've got a family that needs some cash, um, and I need to get that. And so we've been setting up these bank accounts, trying to make all of this happen. I'm up in the mountains, so I can't come down to the bank and do this. Alex doesn't have access to write a check. Matter of fact, we didn't have a checks yet for this account. But we need to get money to this family. So I called the banker that we worked with. I'd just spoken to her the other day, explained the situation, and they're going, well, there's really not a lot we can do. Um, you can check with this other lady because Alex has a credit card. <clears throat> so, okay, talk to this other lady. She basically says all Alex needs to do is go to the, the counter, show his credit card, and ask for a cash advance. Alex goes over to the bank, puts his card on the table, asks for a cash advance. Sorry, your credit card doesn't work that way. Alex texts me back, Dan, we can't give cash. So I call the person, and now I'm getting frustrated. It's like, really? We're just trying to help people. We're trying to do the right thing. We want to get them money. <clears throat> and he's, he's sitting there hemming and hawing. He says, look, I understand your frustration, but you got to understand we have all these security measures. I'm getting frustrated, but I'm learning. It's after I got done with this conversation, I said, wait a minute. Let's run this through a kingdom mentality. So I go to the bank, and really what the banker is telling me in our kingdom, we have liars, cheats, and thieves, and so we can't trust anybody. <laughs> right? Now, this gives you a witnessing opportunity, and I didn't take it because now I know better, and I'm going to start doing this, and this is going to get real fun. Imagine what he would have done if I had said, oh, wow, you're in the wrong kingdom. <laughs> he would have said, what? He said, yeah, in our kingdom, we can trust one another. We don't have to do it. Alex and I managed to do it within the kingdom of God to help those people. Matter of fact, when we went to Serve 6-8, it was really interesting because they said, in order to do all of this ministry, right, the government is going to come in. If you remember, Alex did the slide, and he said, we start with this, and then we do this, and then we, we get finally to the people. And he said, oh, no, in the kingdom of God, we're totally different. Everything's backwards. We immediately get to the needs of the people. And I'm going, again, I'm starting to see kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. It all works very differently. It's almost like an upside-down kingdom. And the more you begin to see this, the more it becomes profound to you. <clears throat> now, another thing that begins to happen, and this is a little bit playing off what Brian said about the two kingdoms. There's further practical application in terms of our theology. And let me show you this. So <clears throat> um, people, for example, have come up to me, and it's like one of these theology questions. And so you try to get really deep. And they'll say, how is it that a good God can send people to hell? And so again, you put on your religious hat and you come up with all this theology. I said, <clears throat> really, let's just go back and let's look at the favorite verse in the Bible of the other kingdom. Did you know the kingdom of this world has a favorite verse? Sure they do. <clears throat> it comes from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Why do they like that verse? Because the world wants to say, don't tell me what I can and cannot do. That isn't what Jesus really said. He goes on to say in verse 2, he says, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. Now, I, I kind of always knew that, but I didn't quite get the full impact of what he was saying. What he's saying is there's two kingdoms. And I always thought, 
God is going to judge the world by one set of rules for everybody. I don't think that's the case. There's two kingdoms. Now, if you, if you go to the United States, there's one set of rules. But if you were suddenly to go to North Korea, would you be, expect to be treated by a different set of rules? Absolutely. And you may not like that set of rules. So again, suddenly putting on kingdom eyes, he's sitting there, and I think really what he was doing, he's warning the world. He says, you don't want to listen to me and my judgment. So if you're going to be God, guess whose rules you get judged by? Your rules. Now look at what he says. He says, by your standard of judgment, it will be judged to you. He was just telling him, hey, be careful what you say, because when you get to heaven and I'm, you're standing before me, it's going to be your words that condemn you, not mine. It'll be the very things that you said. That becomes really, really profound. Jesus sits back, and in, earlier in, in Matthew chapter 5, he will say, don't basically call your, your brother good for nothing, or in essence, don't call your brother stupid. Why should you not call your brother stupid? And he says, if you do this, you're guilty enough to go into the fire. Like, wow, you religious guys are really harsh. It's like, no, no, Jesus is just giving you a warning. Why? Because if you call your brother stupid, what's God going to do to you if you're not in his kingdom? You're going to be judged by a different set of rules. And what are those rules? It's your standard of judgment. Well, I call people stupid. God's going to say, were you ever stupid? It's like, well, yeah. Then he plays the tapes and you find out you're stupid. <laughs> it's all the kingdom on this. And you start seeing this over and over and over again. And did you know that there's an app for calling your brother stupid? It's called Twitter. <laughs> Am I joking? I mean, if you go to Twitter and you start looking at it, you're going to see everybody calling everybody stupid. My goodness, the internet is forever. Can you imagine the Lord pulls out a cell phone and says, see what you said? Right? You want to learn to transfer your kingdoms. They operate in two completely different set of rules. They comp compete in two completely different set of situations. Everything is totally different in those two. And if you begin to see the world on a kingdom perspective, a lot of things suddenly start changing. If you look at the, the, the passage about the parable of the, the wheat and the tares, look what it says. When Jesus goes farther and he's giving the explanation, he says, in that, in that time, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if God went over and basically sentenced all of these people who were unrighteous by his set of rules to hell, what would they be doing? They wouldn't be weeping and gnashing their teeth. They'd be yelling and complaining. They're not yelling and complaining. They're weeping and gnashing their teeth. They're not crying. They're weeping. Have you ever weeped? When you weep, it's because of extreme Sorrow, not out of extreme anger. Any of you ever gnash your teeth? It's like, that's gnashing your teeth. When do you gnash your teeth? Uh, when you just passed the gas station and your car just ran out of gas. It's like, oh, I knew I should have stopped. It's this deep regret over and over and over. And what people need to see is if you're in the wrong kingdom, it's not a good place to be, right? You're not going to get everything that you want to see out of life. Matter of fact, you're going to live in this regret. What we need to do is like, hey, if you're in this kingdom, I want you out of that kingdom. I want you into this kingdom. This is where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, faithfulness, and self-control live. This is the place that everybody, and once you start seeing it, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to tell my friends they're going to hell, but I can sure tell my friends you ought to be in a better kingdom. They'll all get it. They'll all see it. You just have to look around, read the news. <clears throat> this kingdom is an inferior kingdom. 
and nobody really likes it. Now, the other thing that you begin to see is you're going to find out by the things that you do and the things that you receive which kingdom you're in. Because we go back and forth between the two kingdoms. Let's be honest with ourselves, right? There isn't anybody who says, oh, no, I only live in this kingdom. So if you have a hard time with your spouse and things aren't going well in your marriage, guess which kingdom you might be in? The one on this side, right? If your marriage is producing everything that God intended it, now you're beginning to see his kingdom. Same thing with your family relationships, same thing with your finances, same thing with your job. In everything, if you bring it under, right, the will of God, you begin to operate in a totally different kingdom. Make sense? Hopefully. And one of the things that becomes really hard about this, Jesus basically says in Matthew 18, he says, so whoever will humble himself like a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A lot of times what we will say is like, I get this. I thought I got it, but I didn't. I knew the things of the kingdom, but I didn't understand the kingdom. Now, every time I suddenly see things, everything suddenly becomes the kingdom to me. And I hope that this is beneficial, and I hope that all of us begin to see the same thing. <clears throat> we always need to check ourselves. We always need to check which kingdom we're, we're in. And once you begin to get the kingdom, you can't help but see it everywhere. One of the very interesting things, thank you. You're going to see over and over again as you begin to expand your understanding of the kingdom, you're going to come across a particular passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. And this is Paul, and Paul is saying this is how everything ends up. He says, then comes the end, and then he hands over the kingdom to our, our God and Father when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who puts all things in subjection to him. Then all things are subjected to him, and the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Basically, what he is saying is that the purpose <clears throat> of the kingdom of God is to bring everything under subjection to the will of the Father. Now, what's fascinating in that verse, it says when we get to the very end, he's going to turn over, everything has been brought into subjection. Every country, every person, every vain idea, every thought, every conception, it's now under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's got to be mind-blowing. But it gets much better. He says, when he gets done doing this, he's going to turn it over to the Father. Then what happens? I have no idea, but I can hardly wait. Right? You, you begin to get this perspective. It's like, this is great. I want to be in this kingdom. It's going to ultimately overcome everything. You know that you want to be in a kingdom that's eternal, not one that passes away. Even though we get in this other kingdom and we think, oh, this will make me happy because I can get what I want. I can do all of these things. And it gives you some temporary happiness. It doesn't give you eternal happiness, right? I find it interesting. I'm kind of a computer nerd, and so I read these articles about all these guys doing this stuff with artificial intelligence, and really what they want to do is they'd like to cre create robotic bodies and be able to, to put their mind into that. And what are they after? They're after eternal life. That's really what they're after. 
The trouble is they want to be, live eternally in this kingdom. Do you want to live forever in this kingdom? I don't know about you. I sure don't. I want to live forever in this kingdom, right? The kingdom of God where everything is in subjection to his authority. Now, sometimes we have a little bit of problem with that simply because it's like, well, I don't know if I can trust God. So we take like these little baby steps, right? It's like, I don't know. Well, I'll give God a little bit, but then I'll come back and take control of everything. You have to get to the point, and this doesn't make sense. I get it. It doesn't make sense that I can suddenly trust him to take care of all of these things in my life, right? He'll find me the right spouse. He'll bring me the right kids. He'll bring all of these things. He is a good God. And we like to say all the time, and rightfully so, God loves you. Well, first of all, God wants to get you in the right kingdom, and then you'll be able to see all of his love, all of his goodness, all of that. And we have to remind one another. Why? Because we all get mixed up in our kingdom sometimes. It's like, brother, you're in the wrong kingdom. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. You need to get out of that kingdom and get in the right one. When you start putting it that way, it's like, oh, this is pretty simple. I, I just need to get my perspective right. And as we do that, things begin to change. And that's why I believe Jesus spoke over and over and over again about his kingdom. Because once you get this perspective right, a lot of things start changing. And oddly enough, a lot of things become a whole lot more simple. So let's go back to our parable. Matthew chapter 13. He presented another parable then, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a person took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky <clears throat> come and nest in its branches. So what's this parable about? Well, it's pretty simple. It's about something going from real, real small, Alex, if you guys want to come up, to something really large. Now, some people will say, well, it means the kingdom of God. It starts off pretty small. There wasn't very many people, and then all of a sudden you get a bunch. Is that a correct interpretation? Absolutely. We know from the book of Revelation, <clears throat> when John is in heaven, he sees a multitude which no man could count. That's a proper understanding. Now, you could look at this and say, <clears throat> well, for me personally, I'm growing. I'm increasing in my faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I'm making changes and I'm becoming more and more able to put all of these things under the authority and the will of God. Is that a correct understanding? Sure it is but I want you to consider something you've probably never looked at it. Consider it <clears throat> as the idea or the concept of the kingdom itself that you want to see in everything you do, everything you touch, every relationship you have, that you want the will of God to become manifest in that situation. You want the kingdom to grow in your family. You want it to grow in your marriage, in every relationship you have. You want to see kingdom everywhere. You want this whole perception, this whole understanding of the kingdom in your mind to go from this to a giant tree. I think perhaps that may be one of the things that Jesus is telling us. He began to say that to me, and it's changing my perspective on everything. I hope it does the same for you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your son who transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We thank you that he loved us so much that he wanted us out of that kingdom. Help us in that perspective, Father, to see our friends, our family, those who don't know you 
in the true kingdom perspective. For we want them to live eternally in your kingdom where your will is done. Help us to be able to overcome this by the power of your spirit, through an understanding of your son and through the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for all that you do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.